Do you get stuck trying to explain basic real estate terminology to your buyers and sellers? Things like earnest money, appraisal, escalation clause, rent back, you know, that sort of thing. Or maybe you're newer to real estate and you kind of just need like a little bit of a refresh or just maybe an easy way to explain it to your clients. Beth is going to break it down for us today and I'm going to learn right alongside you. Let's do this. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast, where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. Hey, Beth. Hey, Christy. I'm really excited for today's show because these are all things that I kind of get a little bit confused on because, you know, I'm not a realtor. You and everybody else. Newsflash, right? Uh, If you don't know that yet, I'm definitely not, not that. But I'm learning kind of right alongside you. So I'm super pumped to dive into real estate terminology and learn and hopefully retain some of this info and have you break it down into like a much more simpler way. Yeah. Um, So yeah, but uh, let's start with uh, how's your day so far? We've had an eventful day. <laughs> we, Not just me. We <laughs> collectively, the, our podcast crew extraordinaires. It's oh been a God. shit show, really. Yeah. Let's just like we got to best just like we do to we batch record and we got there and you found out that what? Well, our backyard project is clearly full steam ahead on our podcast day. All of a sudden. And I clarified with my landscaper. I'm like, this could be problematic. Please keep me updated. And there's a whole bunch of people in my house that I didn't know were going to be at my house. And yay, projects going ahead. But holy shit, not great when you need like quiet. Uh, like, <laughs> I mean, impact drills, like, yeah. like that. Holy not- crap. So we frantically reached out to people and where can we go to record? We were literally recording seven shows today. No joke. And thankfully, shout out to Sarah Church for hosting us in her condo because we we were a little bit lost for a second. Yeah. Yeah. We so. owe her big time. We do. So <laughs> we, we basically just moved right into her place. Her cat's like, what the hell? We were supposed to start at like nine o'clock this morning. And what time is it like? Not um, nine. Not nine. It's not <laughs> nine. So we're rolling with it. We are. So here we go. So let's dive in, Beth. Why don't you t- why don't you take this over? Well, it's interesting to me like when you feel like when you're newer in the industry and you feel like you probably don't know all the answers and like your client's going to be way more smart and educated than you are that your clients don't do this for a living. They buy a house like once every, what, five years, eight years, 10 years. And so they don't know what all the terminology is. So that's something that you is just good to keep in mind. But like there's, I have clients that have bought 10 houses and they'll still ask me like, well, what's a rent back clause? Like, I guess I'm not familiar with what that is. Well, why would they be? They don't, they don't sell real estate for a living. 
They Why would they know all that terminology? Yeah. So it's our job as the experts to educate our clients. And the more you can educate them and make them feel like they really know what's happening in the transaction, the more comfortable they're going to be, the more empowered they're going to be to make good decisions for their financial future. And then you look like an expert because you've broken it down for them and taken like this weird legalese and made it be more understandable. Okay. So that's what this chat's all about. So from like a, I've been both a buyer and a seller. And from this, this end of it, it's confusing. Like you eventually just throw things into Google because you don't want to ask because you feel like you should know what it means. <laughs> when like, right? And then Google gives you whatever answer it wants to or whatever right. when you click on. That might not be applicable to real estate at all. Uh, right. And yeah. then can we please talk about these uh, abbreviations to things too that yeah. are super confusing and so I actually think this is going to be a really helpful episode for a lot of people. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's dive in. One thing that um, is a key part of a real estate transaction is what's called earnest money. And people are always like, well, I, like, what does that mean? Earnest money is not the same as your down payment. Your down payment is how much you're going to put down on your loan. So let's say you're going to do a 20% down. on. Let's just use the $100,000 because that's easy math and you're gonna put 20% down and you're gonna be financing 80%, that the 20% down is a down payment. And then people are like, well, I thought my down payment was my earnest money. No, your earnest Ooh. money is something when you're writing the offer, you're basically saying, I have skin in the game and I wanna purchase your house, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. And I'm writing a offer for $100,000 and I'm gonna be putting 20% down, but to show you how serious I am, I'm gonna put earnest money down which the seller's broker gets to keep that money in a trust account that no one can touch, no one can mess with it. It goes into a specific bank account. And in Minnesota, the general rule of thumb is about 1% of the purchase price. So if you're buying a $100,000 property, you would write a check for $1,000 to go along with your offer. So does that money get cashed? They cash it. It does get cashed. And now they have electronic ways to do it, but you're still sending that money either electronically or an actual physical check. And that gets cashed after your offer gets accepted. And that money will just sit in the trust account. But then when you get to the closing day and you have to have your 20% down payment that you bring to closing, your money that you bring to closing is 20% minus whatever you already put into it for earnest money. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Where does this earnest money go? So you yeah. don't lose it. It goes towards no, your closing. No, you don't lose it. It's part of your final number. But so let's just say you do a big purchase. You know, it's not uncommon to have a house that's like four or $500,000. So you're putting like four, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 in earnest and it's basically like it's showing that you have skin in the game. So let's say during the inspection period and you get an inspection, um, you can simply change your mind for any reason and get out of the deal and get your earnest money back. But if you're outside of any contingency periods during an offer and you say, I just changed my mind. I don't want to buy the house on Elm Street anymore. I woke up and I'm just not feeling it it is going to be very, very difficult for your buyer's agent to fight to get that money back. You most likely will forfeit that money. Okay. So the more money you have into that, kind of like the more risk you have into it. So really, if you're very serious about the house, so the more you put in, the more it looks like you have more skin in the game. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. That's super interesting. So Yeah. So it's totally earnest money and down payment are two completely different things, but clients think they're the same thing all the time. Okay. So when you are working with like a a buyer, are you recommending 
them to put down 1% or do you recommend more sometimes? It depends if you're in multiple, if you're not yeah. in multiple this offers. This market's different. This market is a lot different. But if you are not in multiple offers, you can generally get by with 1%. Okay. If you're in a multiple offer situation, the more money you put down, the more serious you look. Okay. So that really could be one of the things yep. that makes That could be a offer. contributing factor to your offer getting picked. All right. You're like, yep, I'm like, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Like we want our house so much, we're going to put 20000 in earnest money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it, it becomes a humongous part of the transaction. Um, another two sets of definitions or words that get mixed up in real estate transactions all the time are appraisal versus inspection. All the time. Do you know what the difference is on them? I actually do know the difference between the two. Okay. Yes, from, from my previous uh, buying and selling. So experience. an inspection is not required. Yeah. An inspection is something that a buyer does for peace of mind. But but aren't there inspections required for certain loans, like FHA loan? No. And people think really? that. No, I there's they not. they had their own inspectors that came No, out. they have their own appraiser. Oh, that's it? Yeah. Oh, but their shit. appraiser sort of acts like an inspector on FHA like and VA loans. So government-backed loans are way more stringent on the property. And so their appraisers are looking at the house through a lens that's very similar to an inspector. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but the inspection is simply for peace of mind. There's, um, I got statistics this last week that um, our transaction company that does all of like our behind the scenes on all of our transactions of all the transactions they processed last month, forty one percent of them did not have a home inspection. Are you serious? Yeah. It's that high. That high. <gasps> So okay, in so multiple offer see- situations, people are like, I want this house so bad. I'm willing to buy it without getting an inspection. Like our, our house, like we have to replace the boiler. <laughs> like, well, yeah. But like it, you could literally walk into a house and like yeah. have to replace all of that. You could get into that situation. You never know. Or you could move wow. into a house and it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Or there's things that are always going to go wrong. Right. New, old, doesn't matter. Right. Interesting. For- 41%. I would have never. I know that stat. Ever- Guess that. was a lot. So on most of our listings that our team had this year so far, I would say 75% of them did not have home inspections. Because of how the market is. Because of how hot the market is. So in a buyer's market, In a buyer's market, you can do a 30-day inspection. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> not that long. But you ha- you can pretty much have an inspection on any property. I remember we did like a, ra- a radon test yep. and everything. That's, that's part not, of the home inspection. That's not happening anymore as no, much. No, a lot of people are not doing that. No. Wow, interesting. It's so okay. crazy. Okay. But an appraisal is something that the lender requires. So if you have a loan on a property, if you pay cash for a property, you don't have to have an appraisal. Some people do just because they want to make sure that they're not overpaying for a property. But generally speaking, if you pay cash for a home, there is usually not an appraisal. But if you have a loan on a property um, or if you're getting a mortgage on a house and you have to get financing, the lender is going to require an appraisal. And the appraisal is telling the lender that, yes, the house is worth the $350 that the buyer is willing to pay for it. Okay. So they're kind of double checking the math. So in a multiple offer situation and the, the house is on the market for 325 and the buyers end up getting it for 350, the appraiser is going to come in and double check everybody's math. They're going to say, yeah, there's neighbor there's houses in this neighborhood that support that value or not. So what if it comes in at 340? Does the seller have to then go down to 340? At well, that point? so what happens? You have options when the if an appraisal comes in low, I always say and I, you know, I'm going to I'm not going to lie. Well, like, until getting through the inspection is you're like good whew, got through that and then the next big hurdle in the the biggest hurdle in my opinion in a real estate transaction is getting through the appraisal 
I would have never guessed that either. Yeah, I would have thought home inspection. It's overwhelming and over. stressful for me. Because okay. like, you know, and I don't like to create a problem where one doesn't exist. So I say, okay, let's have like positive thoughts. Let's, ooh, yes, we're going to, you know, <laughs> like we want the house to appraise for the 350 magical number. But if it comes in low, we have options. So the seller could take less money. Yep. Option number one. Option number two, the buyer could pay more money. I know someone that did that. It didn't work out too well, though. Well, if you want a house bad enough. You're, What's like a couple grand or something in that situation? Yeah. But if it's a significant amount. There are some people that love a house so much, they're willing to make up the difference if it comes in low. They they're like, care. whatever, if this is they lost money, I don't care. And they're like, okay. I've written 10 offers. Like, I don't care at this point. It's like, like $20, I want this house so bad. I'm done with this yes. searching. Yes. Okay. Um, or the most common thing that happens is that you meet somewhere in the middle. Okay. And you say, okay, well, buyer's going to pay a little bit more. Seller's going to take a little bit less and come up with a number. And if you can't come to terms, you walk away from the contract and the buyer gets the earnest money back. So is this has this happened a lot with how people, like the bidding is going so much over and multiple offers. It happens it, a lot. It's happening a lot yeah. right now. Yeah. Okay. So that jumps us to our next thing, an appraisal clause. An appraisal clause, are, like these have become so hot this year in Minnesota. I'm sure they are all over the country. But an appraisal clause is basically saying, yes, me, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, we want to buy this house for $350,000. And if it does not appraise for $350,000, $350, we're willing to make up the gap on an appraisal shortage up to a certain dollar amount. Okay, so in this market right now, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, as a as a buyer and so that's to do that. super attractive for the seller. So is there a chance that the appraisal will be just fine? Oh yeah, totally. There's a really strong chance the appraisal will be just fine. But if it's going to come in low, that makes sure this. The reason the seller wants that is because then the seller is actually going to get what the offer is. So or they're kind of like, to it. there's no way our house is going to appraise for this amount. Yeah, we, we know had we can one get recently this, that. The offer went way higher, like $40,000 over, and the buyers are willing to make up $25,000 if the appraisal comes in low. Wow. $25,000. plus the price of a house? Um, mid fours. That's a lot, That's actually. a lot of money. So That's they're putting 20% down. Wow. They're paying all their closing costs, and they will potentially bring an additional 25 grand to the closing table if the appraisal came in low, which that's it did good, not. That's a good offer though. But that is a super sexy offer for our sellers. Woo! And I said, we, and they did no inspection. I'm like, this is one we should run to the bank with right now. <laughs> this is a super Winning! awesome offer. Yeah. Okay. So, so there, people are doing really crazy things in offers right now. But you could so just say, I'm willing to pay $5,000 over if the appraisal comes in low. 5,000, it could be $5,000 more that's going to set your offer apart. Totally. And it gives yeah. the, the seller like security there. Yeah. Okay. So one thing I have heard, so I've never heard of the appraisal clause, but I've heard of the escalation clause. Yes. Okay. So another words that are interchangeable and realtors use both are either an escalation or an acceleration clause. Okay. They're the same exact thing. I, I use escalation clause. Way to make it more complicated. Thank you. Yes. Maybe you should abbreviate it before right. you me. No, we're not going to use abbreviations <laughs> on that, but yeah. So basically what it's saying is, and they're only applicable in a multiple offer situation. If you're not in multiple offers, don't do it because it doesn't make sense. Because you're basically willing to accelerate your offer higher than another offer. So if it's not in multiple offers, like what are you going to accelerate against or escalate yeah. against? 
So basically the the language of it is you would write an offer for let's just use 350,000. You're writing an offer on a home for $350,000, which is the asking price, let's say. So Christy, you told me you want to buy this house. It's listed for 350,000 and you said, "Beth, I I would pay up to 375 for this house." And I'm like, "Okay, sweet." Well, I really don't want you to overpay for it because I'm representing you and your best interest. I want you to pay as little for this house as possible, but you're willing to pay 375 and we already know there's two other offers on the table. Let's use an escalation clause. And then you're like, what does that mean, Beth? It's basically saying we're writing an offer for 350 and then the language that goes in it is the buyers are willing to pay X amount of dollars over over the next highest net offer up to a max of 375. Okay, so so who's in charge of policing this? Well, we asked to see the copy the of the other actual offers. purchase agreements, yeah. Okay, so is this something that buyers like or do they? Buyers like them. The reason being is that you might pay 350 for the house, you might pay 375, but there's a really good chance that you're gonna pay somewhere in between. And so, so you're not grossly overpaying, like say all the other offers are 360 and then you're like, well, shit, you're willing to pay 375. So you pay you're paying $15,000 more than yeah. any other house. You're only paying a couple grand over what the other ones are paying. And a couple grand's worth it for like the hassle of the like figuring right. it. Oh, right. Cool. And so knowing that you're not grossly overpaying for a property is awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is. Not all listing agents like them, though. So you have to, you know, as a realtor, you have to ask if you're representing buyers, you have to ask the listing agent. You're like, will you entertain an escalation clause? Why is it that they don't like them? Sometimes they'll just say, like, if you're willing to pay 375, put your money where your mouth is and just send us an offer for 375. Got it. Instead of like playing games. But they're super, super effective if a listing agent is willing to entertain one. Okay. I love them. We use them all the time. Cool. All right, escalation clause, check that one off our list. Another one that's so popular right now is rent back. Okay, so this is a newer one to me that I know a little bit about just from chatting with the team. But is is this not as big of a deal? Or was this not as big of a deal before like the market right how it is? Um and like how quickly things are selling. Yeah, they're not super common. We don't use it a lot. It's like we're using it currently on a couple of different properties, but we don't use it super regularly. Okay. And they can be, where they're really beneficial is if somebody is selling their house and let's say they, they don't quite know where they're gonna go next or they're building new construction and they still, they don't wanna move twice. It basically alleviates the seller moving twice okay. from old house to new house. And so the buyer buys the house from the seller, but the seller doesn't move out. The seller rents the house from the buyer. So until they can find a place or X yes, amount of time. And, and you put a specified time limit on there. So and it's usually like less than 90 days. And so they, if something were to happen to the house in that time, like well, how does that work? So there are contracts and it's all specified in the rent back contract. Okay, like furnace goes out 45 days in. Yeah. Like who's responsible? Yeah, that's all, res that's all spelled out in the contract. Okay. And everyone agrees to those terms. But it's similar to a renting situation where the seller puts down a deposit um, the seller is paying rent to the buyer and the rent is usually based on what the buyer's new mortgage payment's going to be. Okay. And you figure out like a daily per diem. Okay. Um, the nice thing is, is that the seller generally loves the house. Like they don't, they're not going to be malicious yeah, and yeah. ruin the house. 
You wouldn't do something like this no. if it was a bad transaction. Well, to and begin the, with, so right? the buyer has insurance on the house. The seller keeps like renter's insurance on the house, so the house is fully insured. Okay. Um, and then they just need to make sure that they have a place to go. Yep. And then the buyer with- and seller agree to a time frame in which the seller is going to move out. Okay. They give possession to the buyer. And then that is like just like a normal transaction. So this would be really helpful in like today's market, uh, especially if a family or maybe like a relocation. Yep. Would that be, would it be helpful then too maybe? Depending on if you have a relocation company, they usually okay. just pick up all the moving costs and then you know oh. where you're going. Okay. But like, so we have a couple right now where the sellers have to buy in order, the sellers, excuse me, have to sell in order to be able to buy their next house. Which is common. And then- you buying contingent in this market is just not as sexy. The oh, listing agents don't want to yeah. look at contingent offers on the other what if end. What if your house doesn't sell in X amount of days right. and it extends everything? Right. Yeah. So then you close on the seller's house and then they're able to purchase their next house non-contingent. Got it. Which is super awesome. Cool. Yeah. So do they are they paying you to stay there or is it just part of it? Um, like, do they pay rent? Yeah, so okay. typically they're paying rent. Like that's why I said based Run on back. what the buyer's mortgage payment is. So okay. if the buyer has a $2,000 mortgage payment and the seller stays there for 20 days, you take the mortgage payment divided by 30 days and then, you know, whatever 20 days of that is. And that's okay. what the seller would pay the buyer. Okay. Every once in a while to make an offer really attractive in a multiple offer, um, the buyer will allow the seller to stay rent back for free. Okay. That's super awesome. Yeah. I've had that happen once, like in the last three years. Wow. And my sellers were like, hell yeah, we get to live in our house for free. You're <laughs> like, this never is awesome. Happened. <laughs> yeah. So that was super awesome. But rent back is it is super effective in certain scenarios. Just an extra little tool to have that a lot of agents don't use it. Okay. Um CMA. This is like a CMA. See, here we C, go. Yep. Here we go. Abbreviations. Who does this? Who it's does well, this? a comparable market analysis. But oh, it's computer. like referral, uh, like real estate agents always like lovingly refer to it as a CMA. And then you start talking in jargon and clients eyes glaze over. So it really, when you're talking about MLS, you shouldn't use MLS. Clients don't know what MLS is. That's like, like multiple people... listing service. Oh, is that what that means? Yeah. I only like no MLS. Yeah. Okay. But like a lot of clients are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. But a, a comparable market analysis is basically like, how does my home compare to everything else in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're looking at to help price a house. Yeah. So that's what that is. Okay. What and like what me? a great tool also. Just yeah, to kind of know mean, where you're ha- at, even if you're not buying or selling. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would like one for my house if we ever finish our remodel. Yeah, for sure. Ever. So we send them out to clients pretty regularly so they can just have an idea of like where their value's at. Sometimes people have it in their head and they like don't tell me. It's like this secret. And they're I like, man, wonder. if I could get X amount of dollars for my house, we would move in one second. Or they're just like going on Zillow or whatever. And yep. they're just like checking their home rate or their. Well, and Zillow is not looking. Zillow's just looking at all area sales. Their algorithms are so freaking weird and unreliable. Sometimes they're way over. Every once in a blue moon, they're spot on, but very rarely. Um, so you really want someone that knows your property so they mm-hmm. can actually look at what's really well, and happening. what you've done Zillow yeah. doesn't know yeah yeah so yeah a, a market analysis is really beneficial whether you're selling or not if you're selling of course it's super key to price your home but if not just to know where your value is at super yeah. helpful yeah um seller paid closing costs oh i do know this one 
this terminology. Is this happening ever now? Not very often. <laughs> not very often. But the name of it makes me so freaking bonkers. Why? Because it's not really seller paid closing costs. What it should be titled is the sellers are allowing me to finance my closing costs. That's how it should be worded, but it's not. You're essentially financing your closing costs. They don't pay for it? Well, it's coming out of the sellers. The sellers are making less money on the house, but the sellers are essentially letting you finance your closing costs. So you have to bring less closing costs to the closing table. Okay. So let's say you have a $100,000 house and there's $5,000 in closing costs and you say, hey, I'm the buyer and I want the seller to pay my closing costs. You would write an offer for a hundred grand and then you'd say, sellers, I want you to pay $5,000 of my closing costs. Well, what's the net? What's the net offer to the seller? 105. To the seller. Oh, not 100. Minus five. Yeah, minus five. So 95. So the seller is making (laughs) less money because they're basically giving you five grand. Yeah. So it's coming off the seller's net, but you're essentially financing your closing costs because you still wrote an offer for 100 grand. Got so it. how this is beneficial is like a lot of people ha- ha- are okay and they're fine to save money for closing costs or for a down payment. But a lot of times it's really hard for both. If you're a first time home buyer coming up with three to 5% for down payment and another 3% for closing costs, that ends up becoming a lot of money. Yeah, it does. My first house I ever bought, I think the sellers paid the closing. Yeah. Or however that looks. We yeah. financed it. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's less money you have to, actual physical cash you have Mm -hmm. to come up with as a buyer. Mm -hmm. So it's a super, super awesome strategy. But when you're in a hot seller's market, it's very, very difficult to get that to happen. Yeah. And so that's why I'm like, you have to come up with another option. You know, borrow some money, borrow from your 401k and pay yourself back. See if you can get a gift from your parents, you know, like. Or maybe if you're strapped that tight, lower lower your your home price maybe maybe yeah so yeah there's there's absolutely ways around it okay but yeah if you can get seller paid closing costs you're winning in this market <laughs> i mean i would like to know send us a message if that's happening where you're at because yeah. i can't even we ha- we've had it happen a handful of times okay yeah but um not as much in this market if you're in a really hot seller's market it's more difficult if you're in a really hot buyer's market it's like commonplace yeah. all day every day yeah. yeah yeah uh closing costs people are like what are my closing costs are my closing costs the same as my down payment nope totally different down payment is your money that you're putting down on your mortgage but closing costs are the actual hard costs to close your deal like like title title you actually go to a title company in Minnesota where you sign. Do you not do that everywhere? No. Where do you go? Um, attorney's office in a lot of parts of the country. Oh, interesting. So a lot of times, t- instead of having a title closer, you close with an actual attorney. Okay. So like Chicago, for instance, is an attorney place. And so closing costs are way more expensive because an attorney is way, more, way expensive more expensive than a title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a tit- an attorney is the one that is issuing the title policy. So like all title companies, so like my title company that I use, they're backed by like a legal person is actually doing all the behind the scenes work, but the actual person that does the closing is the title person. Okay. So it's different. Every part of the country is so different. And you could just sit with the sellers and sometimes that's weird. Not anymore. Oh, you don't? Oh, because COVID. No, because of COVID. But before. 
Yeah. So before I used to be in, in Minnesota, it was a big. You'd make like weird small talk. Conference room with like sellers and buyers and lenders and real estate people and title people. It was like a big party. Yeah. Or sometimes it wasn't and it was awkward and. Awkward. Or you were like, or sometimes maybe you made the seller go into a different room. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. Sometimes that you're sitting with your cool long guy. Jason Trout, what's up? Yeah. Been there. Uh, yeah, I have. Well, like, but when I sold real estate in Florida, everyone closed in their own title room. So you would okay. be in the same physical building, but you'd be in two separate rooms. That feels better. It does, but sometimes the transaction is so friendly that you're like, oh, man, I want to meet people. Oh, yeah, I guess. I guess. It just depends on how the transaction's going. Yeah. But nowadays with COVID, it's like the room is very quiet i had some clients Very closed sterile. today while i was doing a podcast so it was my title gal and my my clients and they texted me and like they said it's all done yay, smooth as ever i'm yay. like yay congrats yay. but we celebrated last night when we did our final walkthrough that's awesome but yeah it's it is it's different this world that we live in is so different yeah so oh home warranty let's talk about that one as okay. our last item okay. so a home warranty is something that also is optional kind of like a home inspection um, it's part of the purchase agreement now in Minnesota where you can say, yes, the buyer wants a home warranty and then you determine who's paying for it. The buyer can pay for it. The seller can pay for it. You can split it. And a home warranty is sort of just like a little home insurance plan for your house for a year. It is, um, it covers like your furnace and your water heater and your washer and dryer. And sometimes you can do like a la carte packages, but if your stuff craps out, the first year you call a service number and you pay like a service fee and they come out and repair or replace. Basically, you've already spent so much money on this house that like you need to get through that first year. Well, and you know, sometimes houses have quirks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're buying a house with an old furnace and the sellers are like, well, I'm not going to replace it. It works just fine. And the buyer's like, oh my God, what if this goes out tomorrow? A home warranty is a good little like insurance policy yeah. for yeah. that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So yeah, there was so much technolo there's technology and um, technical terms that go with real estate. Yeah. But, you know, there's a way to like, you know, make it more fun and lighthearted for clients easily. I think if you just like explain it as you go instead of yes. just saying it, yeah. it's much less confusing. Yes. But sometimes we're just so busy rushing through everything. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost makes you feel like you're more a part of the process, I think, too. Well, yeah. And people want to know. I think the average person buying or selling a house actually wants to know what these terminology things are. You and want like, to be armed with information. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What it does, how it benefits them or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's so much more. We're just scratching the surface. These are the ones that are really kind of like the day in and day out things that I deal with. Interesting. Now you learned. Did you learn something on this one? I did learn a couple things. Yes. Well, good. Thank you. Yay. Yeah. And see, you're a seasoned pro. I You're on your third pro. house right now. Uh-huh. I am. And you still and, are learning every day. Yeah. And hopefully, well, we'll see if it's the third one for a while. But um, <laughs> if we survive a remodel. TBD. Never ending. TBD. TBD. Okay, cool. Well, thanks, Beth. This was great. Yeah, good. And I think that it'll be good information to kind of share with clients and to do a little refresh, too. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Bus Bench Babes. Hope you learned something on this episode today and learned that, you know, there are there are very common misconceptions with some of the terminology in this business. Um, and just explaining it to your clients. They want to learn. They want to know what's going on with their real estate transaction. So keep it friendly. Keep it warm. And for God's sake, keep your face off a of bus bench. Keep being badass boss babes that you are. Yep.
Okay, girls, are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl, Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here.